uh, John Fahidi, would you look up John one seventeen? Bill Steinorth, would you look up uh, Galatians three nineteen through twenty? Galatians three nineteen through twenty. Sammy, would you look up Mark uh, one fourteen and fifteen? And we're going we're going way over the top in scripture today. We're not doing one verse. <laughs> Rest of you turn to Hebrews chapter one. So it was interesting what Don said because uh, he spoke about hearing, hearing, hearing. He probably said the word hearing twenty five times, maybe thirty. And the word the Lord gave me this morning is who do we listen to? And so I love that when you open up the opportunity for the Holy Spirit to be in charge, you know, I didn't tell Don what I was going to talk about. He didn't tell me what he's going to talk about. We just trust the Holy Spirit to lead. And so his word about hearing is where God's taking us in this, in this idea of grace, the covenant of grace. And so we're actually going to expand the book of Hebrews. That's what we're going to do. We're just going to go through the book of Hebrews because the book of Hebrews is the explanation of the transition between the law and grace. And so that's why we want to understand it. What is this thing that God's talking about? Who are we listening to? There's a lot of, Don said it, there's a lot of voices. Even in the church, there are a lot of voices. There's a lot of interpretation. There's a lot of man that's involved. And how cool is God? He's so big that he's not like, well, I should take it all back from the people so that I can really make it right. He's like, no, I'm going to make it right through all the broken people. That's right. Amen. Amen? So I sit here broken. Don sits here broken. You sit here broken. And God's like, I'm going to make it right. I'm making it right. It's being made right all through my son Jesus. So, you know, it's not on our shoulders. It's his responsibility. And so um, who are we listening to? So I wanted to touch on this. I'm going to, I'm going to read you a passage from Matthew. The, the short answer, who do we listen to? The answer is Jesus. Jesus Christ of Nazareth. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He will never change. Amen. He is the one who we listen to at all times. He's, there's one God. There's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. They're one. They're not separate. They're always in unison, and they're always in unity. They're always together understanding one another in perfect fellowship. Jesus is not somewhere else from the Father. The Father's not somewhere else from Jesus. They abide together. Amen. Complete, whole, Perfect, sovereign, without change, without any adulteration. Nothing in them is ever less than perfect, and they are one. So the one you're listening to, Jesus, is the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. They are a unison. They speak in unison. So you'll hear them, okay? And they will approach you as those personas. Jesus will come as your brother. The Holy Spirit will come as your teacher. The Father will come as your daddy. So Jesus is involved in all of those transactions. The Holy Spirit is involved in all of those transactions. The Father is involved in all of those transactions. Who you listen to is Jesus Christ. That's why the Gospels are four books for us to understand the fullness of who Jesus is. Because of Jesus, we live and have our being today. Right? So, in Matthew 17, at the transfiguration, you can stay in Hebrews 1, I'll just read this to you unless you want to go with me. It says this, After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. So he did not take all the disciples. 
And he was transfigured before them, his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. Behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it's good that we're here. If you wish, I'll make three tents here. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to Him. Peter made the mistake of thinking Jesus was like Moses and Elijah. He tried to make three tents. You have Jesus, you have Moses who gave us the law, you have Elijah who, gave us the, who is a prophet who represents the, the confirmation of the law. So therefore, since Elijah and Moses showed up, they were the most important thing to Peter because they're the ones that brought Scripture. But they're not the most important thing. Jesus is the most important thing. Before he even finished speaking, the Father steps in and says, you don't listen to them, you listen to Jesus. It was an immediate stop by the Father because He wants us to see something. Listen to Jesus. And look at what it goes on to say. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified, now realizing this is the one. But Jesus came near, touched them, saying, Rise, have no fear. When Moses brought the law, the people were in tremendous fear. So much so they said, don't let God speak to us again. Only you can speak to us. Right? So then, and when they lifted up their eyes, so they fall down in fear, understanding this is God, this is the one. He touches them and says, don't be afraid. That's grace. You don't have anything to be afraid of. I'm here to love you. So he touches them to show them love. He says, rise up, stand on your feet. I'm going to give you grace. And then they get up, they look up. No one's there but Jesus. That's right. No one's there but Jesus. Why? Because they don't need to look at the law and the prophets anymore. That's right. They don't need to look to that to understand how to be. They have to look to Jesus to understand how to be. It's the law and the prophets that will describe who Jesus is and how to be. That's why they're not, they don't pass away. One iota, one jot, one tittle doesn't pass away. Why? Because Jesus won't pass away. That's right. So what describes him, relays him, identifies him, prophesies him, tells about him, shows the way to him, will never go away. Why? It's his history. You can't eliminate Jesus' history. Because Jesus is never going to be eliminated, right? So that's, that's what this says. So go to Galatians. Whoever, Bill, you have Galatians 3, 19 and 20. Would you just kind of read that so everybody can get a clear picture of what that says? Why then was the law given at all? It was added because of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise referred had come. The law was given through angels and entrusted to a mediator. Mediator, however, implies more than one party, but God is one. So watch this. Crazy scripture, and I've always a little bit struggled with it. What what the Holy Spirit is saying in this this verse is saying, why was the law even given? The Holy Spirit inspired scripture, guys. Okay? So when you read that, that question comes because the Holy Spirit wanted it asked. So it's not a man saying, why did the law come? It's the Holy Spirit saying to you and to me, why then the law? Almost a rhetorical question, right? But then he says, it's added because sin. You can't live in sin. Sin is what is the problem. 
So I need a solution for sin. And the first solution, so-called solution, comes out, it's the law. But here's the thing. Until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. The promise that was made was faith granting righteousness and it was given to Abraham. Abraham had the promise of faith before the law ever came. So Abraham is able to believe and it's counted to him as righteousness. That's the promise. But because of sin, a law was established. Why? Because God's perfect. You have a promise with a perfect God and imperfect people lying in between it. You follow me? Yes. So when Scripture says right here, it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. In Deuteronomy 33.2, the Bible says that God came from Sinai with ten thousands of His holy ones. The, the mountain was on fire because where God goes, it's burning. And when ten thousands of His holy ones who are ministers of flame are with Him, guess what? Mountains are going to burn. Everything gets consumed in God's presence. He is a consuming fire. And so this 10,000 angels come with God to distribute the Ten Commandments to Moses. Yeah, that is a frightening sight. Because one angel puts these dudes, put Daniel on his face. He couldn't even move from one angel's presence. Think about 10,000 mighty ones with the Lord of hosts. And Moses, the most humble man, says, I'm going to step right in. Bold. Bold, right? So he says, he put it in place by a mediator. The mediator is key here because you have imperfect people. Israel at first, and us also, all of us are imperfect, right? God distributes a law so that there's a way for God to interact with the people. Because without the law, there's no way for God to interact with an imperfect people. Otherwise, he becomes imperfect. Yes. So he establishes his law, says, this is how we're going to interact. However, I have to put Moses between me and you because I need, I need a barrier, I need a mediator between God and man. And Moses is that imperfect mediator. You see how he said in there? It's like, so I want you to just, just go with me into a mediation, legal mediation, and think about it. You have party A and you have party B. The reason you are in a mediation, in, in any case, is a contractual obligation has been broken. So you're mediating because A and B cannot be on the same page. You follow me? That's why we have courts. That's why we have judges. That's why we have people who say, hey, what's all the evidence? What's all the evidence? What's all the evidence? I rule this way. Mediation is the step before that that says, is there a way for us to get on the same page without the cost of the, of the courtroom, without the finality of another decision, is there a way for us to get on the same page? So A and B need a mediator. You follow me? So Moses was established as that mediator. And I want you to think about something. God, the righteous, perfect, holy one, says to his mediator... I am going to destroy these stiff-necked people because they have hardened their hearts against me in idolatry and made this golden calf, and I'm going to wipe them out. That's what he said to his mediator. Says to his, so party B is saying to his mediator, A is going to get disintegrated. But guess what, mediator? I'm going to make a new people that you can rule over that will be more on the page with me than A is. The mediator stands up to God, now God gave him this role. That's why he had the authority and the anointing to do this. And he turns and says, 
They're not my people. They're your people. You brought them out. You, by your great name, need to keep them going in the path they're going. Otherwise, everybody in Egypt is going to know you brought them out only to destroy them here, and they're going to give you a bad name. Amen. So Moses, the mediator, is with party B having a conversation on behalf of party A, who is totally a mess and who is in idolatry and deserves death and they deserve the destruction that God said they deserve. But the mediator stood in the way and said, how about grace? And the father's heart is grace. Moses knew it and that's why he was mediator. You get it? He spent time in the presence of the Almighty. Forty days he laid on his face. In the presence of the Almighty, he understood the Father's heart. He understood in that moment the heart. And it's not saying God's, God's divided. What are you saying? Did God change his mind? No, this is like a father saying to his son, I'm going to give you space to know my heart. What they deserve is utter destruction. What I can give them is utter destruction. What do you say, mediator? And mediator says, I know your heart. I know your heart. (laughs) Faith pleases the Father, right? Because everything that Moses heard, everything that Moses saw, everything that was coming in from the outside was like, yeah, party B's right. You know, I mean, he could have went back to the table and been like, sorry, A, you guys are annihilated. But my life's going to be okay. I'm going to lead another group. It wasn't it. And so that's that meteor. That's why this Galatians 3, 19 and 20, it really talks about how the angels gave this law with God, but then there's an intermediator, and that's Moses. And it says, an intermediary implies more than one. That next verse, verse 20. But God is one. So think about this. When he said there's a mediator, what he's implying is you have more than one party going on, right? God said, these are my people. I will put my heart in them. I will put a new heart, a heart of flesh in them. But he's saying, but God is one. Basically meaning this. He doesn't have to cut covenant with anybody and he's completely sufficient. Mm -hmm. He chooses to cut covenant for their benefit. See, the law came for their benefit. Because God doesn't need us to be complete and whole and perfect. He could exist in utter darkness, uh, totally separated from us, and be 100% okay. 100%. Not even like a fraction of imperfection in him. Yet he chooses, everything he does is for our benefit. That's where we're going in Hebrews. That's where we're going with the covenant of grace. That's what we have to get in our hearts. Yesterday I was asked this question in the coffee shop. How do we know the difference between condemnation and conviction? How do we know the difference? How do we as Christians know when we are being condemned or when we are being convicted? And what the Holy Spirit hit me with in that moment was, he said, first of all, you have to, Justin, be 100% convinced, believing by faith, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you don't believe that, then you can't discern because you're trying to discern something that doesn't exist. That's right. So if you try to discern something that doesn't exist, you're then going to be caught in the enemy's lies. Saying, well, is this condemnation from God or is it, huh, wait a second. There's no condemnation in Christ. This is condemning me. This isn't even of God. Amen. Amen. Let's roll on. Let's roll on, right? Because that's the the spirit of grace that he wants us to have. Okay, so in Hebrews chapter 1, we're going to cover this pretty quick. And then chapter 2, we're going to jump into um, Hebrews chapter 1. Everybody with me? Amen. Long ago... 
at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He's spoken to us by His Son. So the prophets spoke to Israel, and that's how God spoke. Like, there were times when Jeremiah had to wear a wooden thing around his neck and just walk through the community. That was God speaking of coming judgment bondage through a prophet. Okay? Ezekiel, lay on your side for 390 days. That was God speaking through Ezekiel as a picture, a paradigm, of soon coming judgment of Israel that would, would last for 390 days. Okay? Or he would bring Nathan to, to King David and say, Nathan says to King David, you're the man. And that's God's word to David saying, you're the sinner, right? So in many times, in many ways, God spoke through the prophets, right? But now, in these last days, speaks by His Son. Who's the Son? Jesus. Whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. So, who created, who created the world? Jesus. He was standing there, looking over nothing, and spoke with the power of the Holy Spirit. Because in Proverbs chapter 8, it says, Wisdom was there at the very beginning, speaking and speaking them things into the mind of who? Jesus. So the Holy Spirit is involved in creation, speaking the wisdom of God, the Father, who dwells in immutable light, through Jesus Christ, who speaks, let there be light, and the incarnate Jesus, light appears. That's who it was. The angel of the Lord, and the 185,000 that were killed before the Israelites, was Jesus, the incarnate Jesus says it's the angel of the Lord went out before the armies as they worshiped, and with a sword in his mouth, 185,000 were dead. Wielding a sword. You know that many more than 185,000 will die at the sword of Jesus' mouth in the last days? A whole army, the whole world's army, the Armageddon, is going to rise up and stand before Christ, the Savior, and say, we're going to win. And it says, we come with him on white horses. And it says, he declares with a word, done. One word. It's all it takes from Jesus. So He's an Almighty. All He is the Almighty, and He says this: He's the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of His nature. This word in the Greek is where we get the word photograph from. So if you want to know what God looks like, it's a picture of Jesus Christ. He's the exact imprint of the Father. Okay, and He says this. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Why does this earth not totally spin off its axis, goes ricocheting through, through the solar system? Why do huge asteroids not destroy this earth as we miss them by not many, many thousands of miles? How does the galaxy stand where they stand? How does all of this stuff happen? It's because Jesus said, stay. The word of his power. So I want you to think about that in your own life because if you're facing something right now that seems insurmountable, His Word will be sufficient in that moment. Because He's already spoken it over us. It says this, After making purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the Majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name He has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Here's the thing about Ju- Judaism. The Jewish people, knowing that the angels and God administered the law, put a high value on angelic activity. Okay? And so they understand that. Well, the Sadducees, they don't even believe in angels and spirit and resurrection, but the Pharisees believe in all of those things, and Scripture tells us that. But here you have this understanding of the angelic, right? 
So there's this question that kind of emerges from the answer about how involved are the angels with this, with this covenant. So Paul's preaching a covenant of grace. We most assume that Paul wrote the book of Hebrews. There's no firm 100% evidence of that. It's just the writing, the way it comes, comes about. But he's saying here, he's bringing up angels. So why would he be bringing it up? It's because there could be a question in the hearts of the, of the readers. How do the angels interact with this whole thing, right? So that's the first point. Hebrews' first point, I want you to pay attention, Jesus is bigger than the angels. Amen. You get it? Because think about this. Think about it. They know angelic beings. They, know, they believe Daniel's book, 100%. The Pharisees have it memorized. So when the angel came to Daniel, and when the angels come to Ezekiel, when the angels come to any of these prophets, they see the power these angels have, and they're on their face. So one of their highest people that they respect in their religion, Daniel or Ezekiel or Elijah, any of those people, when they understand angelic power is so great that our greatest, you know, Elijah's going to return. Remember all the, all the Judaism, that's what their mindset was. Elijah's going to come back. Their mindset is these angels have tremendous power. So now Paul's preaching a gospel about a man who came to a planet Earth who exists just like them, who supposedly died on a cross, and then was raised three days later. So follow the mindset of a Jewish person to take into account. See, we live on the other side of the cross. We live on the side of the cross, and we just take for granted sometimes these things. We're like, no, Jesus, he's, he's the king of glory. Well, tell that to a first century person who just was there when it was done. It was a man who bled and died on a cross that was hung on a tree. He was bleeding and dying. There wasn't any miraculous, so powerful things happening that all the prophets fell on their faces in worship. He's bleeding out and dying, gasping for breath. This is not something that some, somebody would look at and say, Oh, yeah, he must be an all-powerful God. In fact, the opposite happened. Right. They said, if he's a king of the Jews, if he is who he says he is, save yourself. You are bleeding out, dying right now. So do you understand that for, for, for us to grasp, we live on a great side. We live on the, on the yes. side of grace and the side of the cross where we kind of take it for granted. But he's explaining to some people, listen, you think angels are powerful? This Jesus is far superior Amen. to these angels. And here's what's cool. Hebrews 1 and 2 are going to explain it. That's what's really cool about it. God doesn't just leave it there as like some unopened statement. So he says, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. And then he goes on and says this, For which, to which of the angels did God ever say, You're my son, today I have begotten you. So what name was the Holy Spirit referring to? It wasn't the name Yeshua. It wasn't the name Jesus. The name describes the person, its son. His name is far superior to that of the angels. Does that mean, is Jesus more superior to Gabriel? Absolutely not. Its son is more superior to everything. He's the son of God. That's why it separates Christianity from Islam, Christianity from Buddhism, Christianity from any other religion in the world, because this is the one faith that says Jesus is the son of God, the only son of God. All right, so son. Then he goes on to say this, or again, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. See, he's quoting, who's he quoting? He's quoting the law and the prophets. He's quoting the scriptures that describe the one who was to come. So he's not saying this passed away. He's saying this describes him. Let me tell you. You guys know it. <laughs> I love it. He's using their own Bible. Like, 
You can witness to people through the Bible, you know, I love it. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again he brings the firstborn into the world. He says, let all God's angels worship him. Now that one is going to hit these Judaism people because, and should hit us, because when the angels came to Daniel, Daniel fell on his face, right? When they come at the brook of Cherith, when those things happen, these, these guys are down. And now he's saying to them, no, let me tell you, your word says, worship him. All these mighty, mighty ones, they're going to worship him. Of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire, which is what happened at Pentecost. They came in as what? Tongues of fire that sat on the head. They came in as a mighty rushing wind that filled the room. So who, who brought the Holy Spirit? It's the same thing that happened at Sinai. At Sinai, the law came, and it came with 10,000 of His holy ones. At Pentecost, God comes, and who comes with Him? His ministers of flames of fire and, and, and these winds. He's, do, he's not a God that's like, ah, I'm really secret, you'll never figure me out. He loves to reveal Himself. And so he does it at Pentecost when he distributes the Holy Spirit to the people. He says, but of the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. Jesus walked in the oil of gladness. And we should too, no matter what we face. And... You, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. Like a robe, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed, but you are the same, and your years will have no end. And so we're still talking about how... Now, he's still making this distinction. Is Jesus greater than the angels? Because to these people, angels are the most powerful thing they understand. And to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? So we're we're getting an understanding of the covenant of grace in Hebrews 1. Basically saying the angelic had something to do with the law and distribution of of, of what happened. However... Now it's time to listen to Jesus because he far surpasses these angelic beings. He far surpasses them. So here's what it says. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. And I feel like the Lord wants us to come in like to Hebrews because this covenant of grace is so important for all of us personally, but it's so important for us liberal, liberally to liberate the people we encounter. See, Jesus wants us to really understand grace so that we free the people around us. It, we talked about this yesterday at the coffee shop. There's this statement that's made often, and I made it myself many times. I'm hardest on myself. That's why I'm so hard on you. That's an, un, that's an antithesis to grace. The, the antithesis to grace is to say, you know what? I'm forgiven. And yeah, I messed up right now, but Jesus, I praise you for your... There's no condemnation. There's no, there's no, there's no way that I'm going to be punished in this moment. So I'm going to run right back to you, and I'm going to do better in this next moment. And with that, I'm going to liberate everybody around me that I'm so hard on. I'm not going to demand performance from the people around me, God, because I'm not going to demand performance from myself. Right? So he wants this covenant of grace to say something. He's saying to me, to us this morning in this first verse, he's saying... Pay much closer to attention to it. 
Because I don't want you to drift away from it. I don't want you to get back to a condemnation mindset. I don't want you to get back to a wrong mindset, a wrong belief about what I'm doing. He says, for since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable. Catch it. He's still focused here on this, on helping these people understand. They did declare the message. The angelic declared this message. And he says, it's reliable. It's proved to be reliable. Here's how. Every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution. When you look through the Old Testament, you will see that retribution and all the things that were necessary for the disobedience were carried out. However, there was huge amounts of opportunity for repentance. There were 400 years for the Assyrians to repent for for judging Israel. God was like, I'm still going to give them some time. They might still repent and say, you know what, we shouldn't have been so hard on Israel. We're going to search after God. 400 years. Generation, 10 generations. God was like, well, let's just hold on. I'm going to still give them an opportunity to repent. How about Israel? 30 some years, Jeremiah's prophesied, this stuff's going to happen, guys. This stuff's going to happen, guys. This stuff's going to happen, guys. How about Nehemiah? Nehemiah got to go and say, guys, like, you need to honor the Sabbath. Like, don't do this. God's going to, he's going to judge you if you keep on sinning. And how's God? He's like, I'll give you some time. How about Nineveh? Nineveh, the worst city in the, in the known world at the time, had stacks of skulls at the front gate because of the murderous, heinous things that they did. The king of Nineveh was one of the most feared people in all of the world at that time. And God says to a little fisher guy, he's like, hey, Jonah, go tell Nineveh to repent. Wait, God, they're horrible. Just destroy them. They deserve to be completely destroyed, right? I mean, that would be probably most of our responses. Like, dude, I'm not going into Stack Skull City. Like, huh, I'm not, you know? Like, and that's what Jonah did. He ran the other way. He's like, man, where's the, where's the port? I need a ship. Like, I'm going to get out of here. You know why? Because God's on land. I'm going to get on the sea. I'm going to try to get away from God, you know? And what did God do? He brought this tempest. And Jonah knew in his heart, he's like, I'm being disobedient. Mm -hmm. See, so it's a reliable word from the Lord that the law says, if you live under the law, you will suffer the consequences of that law. It's reliable. And so every transgression received its retribution. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? He's talking about the grace of Jesus now. He's saying, so if no one got out under following rules, how can we get out if we neglect what Jesus has done for us? If we neglect this, we have no escape whatsoever. It was declared at first by the Lord, who has Mark 1, uh, Sammy. Will you read Mark 1, 14 and 15? Yes. Now after John was arrested and put in prison, Jesus came into Galilee, Preaching the good news of the gospel of the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. Amen. Have a change of mind, which is that you regret the past sins and a change of conduct for the so what was proclaimed first by the Lord? He's saying, time's fulfilled. Jesus is here. I'm here. When he said, repent and believe in the gospel, he didn't say, repent and believe in that my death and my burial and my resurrection. That is the gospel. But you know what he said in Mark 1, 14 and 15? He said, believe in me. I'm the gospel. He said it all the way through the book of John. Believe in me. He said in John, I think it's 549. No, 
6.29. He says, you study the scriptures because you think by them you're going to have eternal life. But they are what testifying about me. Believe this. If you believe that, then believe this is the fulfillment of that. And then he says, but if you don't believe me, believe in the works that I do. And what does he say right here? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles, by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will. He ratified it. He ratified what Jesus said by what Jesus did. And then what Jesus said and what Jesus did, once He was taken from the earth, here's what Jesus said, I'm going to send you a comforter. The Holy Spirit is who His name is. He's going to come upon you and you're going to do greater works than I did because what I did and what I said is what you're going to do and what you're going to say. And you're going to accomplish the very same things that I'm doing. For the rest of time until it's time for me to return. So He is ratifying what was said by Jesus Christ. So here's the thing I want you to think about. Um, It goes on and says, For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere, what is man... Oh, by the way, I just want to hit this for you guys who get... You're afraid to quote the Bible because you don't know the address, like chapter verse. The person writing Hebrews said this, It has been testified somewhere. (laughs) So if you know Scripture and it's in your heart, but you don't have the chapter and the verse... Make this statement. It has been testified somewhere. However, be sure that it's Scripture. God, I, don't want, I don't want to hear anybody saying, it's been testified somewhere, cleanliness is next to godliness, because that is not in the Bible. So be careful. You know, you got to be careful. But I do want you to know, God doesn't require us to know chapters and verses. It's better that we do, but... He says, what is man that you're mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Here's what he's saying. I didn't make this world and I didn't cut this covenant of grace to give it to angels. I cut this covenant of grace to give it to my son. He's my heir. He has it all. All things are given to Jesus. He says, now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. So guess what? If you have anything in your life this morning, it's under Jesus' control. Believe it. He says, at present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. <laughs> of course we don't. We can barely see it. We can't see to the end of our own galaxy and our end of our own universe. We don't know how far the universe goes. So there are things under subjection to Jesus today we know nothing about. By the way, which is expect your miracle, what Don said, because today you need a miracle. He has things under subjection to him that we don't even know anything about. He said this to me the other day. He said, don't get anxious about your resources. He says, I am the source and it is infinite. Rest in me. Amen. Why would I be anxious about resources? He's the source. So I can just sit and just enjoy. You know, you're the source, God. You told me I'm never going to starve. You told me I'm not going to not have clothes. You told me that I would have protection and shelter over my head. I'm good. I'm not, I've never been without. That's right. We haven't been without. His people won't be without. There won't come a time. Don't think this thought, because it's from the devil, that, well, yeah, God's been good in the past, but He's not going to be good in the future. What? He's God. He's good all the time. He doesn't change. He wasn't like, well, I'm going to be good for a little while, but I'm going to pull all my gifts back from the church. I'm going to take back my love. I'm going to take back my... I'm just going to hang out by myself for a while and let them kind of struggle through it. Like, total lie. Total opposite of His character. His character is the other way. 
I'm going to have more love, more grace, more source, more provision, more life, more energy, more everything that you need. It's all going to come from me, and you're going to know that I'm the Lord your God. And you're going to love me. You know, that's grace. So he goes on and says this. Well, we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus. So there's no confusion here. Crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death. So that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. When you die, you will not taste death. Amen. Dwight Moody, when he, came to his, when he came to his time to die, and it was right at that moment where he was passing from life into life eternal, he said, if I would have known this was death, I would have liked to have gotten here much sooner. That's how glorious it is. For a Christian, for a believer, death is not a frightening, scary, horrible thing. It is, you will not taste that. Because the frightening, horrible thing that it was, was suffered by the King of glory, Jesus Himself, who cried out, Lamach, Lamach, Sabachthani, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He stood in utter darkness as the sin of the world, completely separated from His Father, knowing that He was the Son. On our behalf, all of us, saved, purchased, bought. And he says it's because we don't have to taste it. He says, for it is fitting that he, for by whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source, and that is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers. Which is, the word there is brothers and sisters, it's, it's the same type of word, saying, I will tell, you, tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. Jesus is singing praise over you this morning. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook, partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps. Hear that? Jesus isn't helping angels, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. This is us, people. Therefore he has been made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation which is payment for the sins of the people. For because he himself was suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. So, our mediator is no longer a man. You get that? So, the mediator of the law, the mediator of the, the old covenant, was a man who stood between perfect and imperfect. And that mediation was done through this device, the law, so that there was interaction with the perfect to the imperfect. But no longer does that exist because our, our mediator in this covenant of grace is God Himself. Amen. The mediator is God Himself. Who's the mediator? Jesus Christ. He's the one who now is the one between, no longer between anything. Do you follow me? The, necess- the necessary law was only there because two parties existed. But follow me in this, in, this, in this statement. So a two-sided mediation would require a mediator. But God is one. 
God is one. So solely, he did this for himself. That's what he did for himself. Follow me? It's about him. But we're the benefactors. So he did this for himself. He became man. Lower than the most powerful angels that they thought were most powerful. He dropped himself, not just from Almighty. He dropped himself below a level of his created beings. He lowered himself to the lowest state possible. Humility. So he became a man to pay for man. Only a man with blood could pay for men. Only a perfect sacrifice. So he lowers himself, he becomes a man to pay for a man, lower than the angels for a time, to be raised a perfect man. Right? He's raised to be a perfect man and get, and open the way. Catch this. The grave didn't just get opened and Jesus went back to heaven. The grave got kicked open on all of our lives. Amen. In a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, the grave was kicked wide open where death will never affect us. The sting of death, the, the taste of sin, all of those things, they're not going to affect us because He has eradicated them. And here's what He did. He opened the way for His divine nature. Remember the Sunday that we talked about Peter who says His divine nature is in us. And the very great and precious promises are placed within a man. He just took side B and side A and eliminated them and made one in himself. One. So Jesus dwells in me and Jesus dwells in heaven. And I am the kingdom as much here as I'll be the kingdom when I'm there, because His divine nature and very great precious promises are here in me right now. That's grace. That means all of His favor, all of His blessing, all of His payment, all of the things that He's done is all in me right now, so that a covenant between Him and I, which is the oneness I have with Him, would bring all things into His plan for man in His eternal kingdom. He did it all. All of it. For you and me. He did it for us. He did it to love us. He did it. He demonstrated His love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Covenant of grace has every benefit for you. It's for us. It's, it's, to, it's, to, it's for us so that we can be the kingdom of God that He wants. So He makes Himself one with those who believe and He is already one in Himself. So he forever removed all the separation, gave his peace and love and blessing and favor that he himself enjoys within himself so that we can enjoy it too. Amen. Amen. (laughs) But see, if we don't believe that, we struggle. If we try to follow rules and try to live in the grace of the Lord Jesus we will fall into the retribution that fall, comes from following rules. Which is exhausting. Totally exhausting. Yes. You can't do it. No. And that was the proof. The proof is in the pudding. If you read the Old Covenant, nobody was able to do it. That's right. And what a miracle it is every day. Actually, a miracle that that grace... So every day is a miracle right. because that grace yes. is there. 
because according to the law, yep. according to the law, if we didn't have that meat eater, we would be dead. Yes. I mean, we, we would be dead. But every day that grace, I mean, what a miracle. Mm. And that's, you know, that's why our fellowship exists. You know, I was reading this this morning. But the number one thing we want to do is glorify Jesus Christ. You know, and today it's kind of like what Hebrews 2.1 says. We just need to listen more closely to what the gift is that God's given us. Liberate ourselves. Liberate those around us. Liberate us in, into this gospel of, of Jesus Christ. Because when performance comes off of us, I mean, you could see it in Don this morning. You know, when I first met Don, that level of desire to perform was a lot higher just in performance than it was today, than it is today. The growth in that liberation is phenomenal. You sit up here and your anointing, the anointing that's on you is just profound. It's, yes. a, it's an anointing of peace, yes. anointing of wisdom, yes. Yes. and then it's growing you into the next assignment. It's, it's like I just saw you, you're getting like stretched into this, this prophetic intercessor where you will see the answers to prayer. I've heard you say it before. Okay, God, wh- wh- where's this answer? You know, and the Lord's like, growing you into it, son. Growing you. Into it. You know, as Don was coming to the close, as you were coming to the close of what you were saying, uh, 